You've dialed in the Flying Midwest podcast, connecting aviators from across America's heartland, sharing news, information, and events from around the region. Sit back, relax, and join our crew for some hangar talk as we discuss a wide variety of regional aviation topics. And now, from our home at the Anoka County Blaine Airport, our checklist is complete and we're ready for departure for another episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Jim here with the Flying Midwest Podcast. So happy you're able to join us. On this episode, join Maddie and I as we talk to the crew of the Super Guppy in another live from AirVenture 2023. We learn more about this unique aircraft and what it takes to fly it. So strap in and let's take off into this special AirVenture edition of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Well, welcome everyone to a special live from AirVenture edition of the Flying Midwest Podcast. I am Jim. Hello, And Jim. joining me, hello, and joining me is Maddie. Hello. As always. So we're going to talk about something pretty unique on this episode. It's a super guppy. Do you want to say anything about the super guppy? Yeah, but like, what kind of transition was that? I don't know. It wasn't one. No. Where were we? Just, we did the, hi. We're... You said a sentence. You declared that it was special, which I is did. true. This is a special episode of the Flying Midwest Podcast. Not only was it recorded at Oshkosh, but we got the opportunity as media to speak with two very important people. Two people responsible for the flight of the Super Guppy, which is a very unique aircraft. That's right. We talked to one of their mission pilots, Brett Pugsley, and a flight engineer, Nelson Reyes. They... Um, Took some time to sit down with us up in the flight deck of the Super Guppy, which was a cool experience in and of itself to uh, be able to be up on the flight deck and just see it's an airplane on the inside of it. Um, and It sure is. <laughs> as unique as that aircraft is, it takes a crew to make that happen um, and to fly that unique airframe and all those parts come together for hopefully successful flights. So everybody sit tight, grab your popcorn and let us welcome Nelson and Brett. My name is Nelson Reyes. I am a NASA flying engineer flying the uh, NASA Super Guppy. So what is the mission of the Super Guppy? I know that a lot of people have seen photos of it and you know seen it around, but what is the mission of this aircraft? Support the United States of America going back to the moon is, is, is our mission. Going back to the moon and then to Mars after that. Okay. So um, that is our, our, our directive, and we support that in many ways. Uh, moving the Orion, the Orion heat shield. Um, we do move um, other aircraft from Department of Defense um, agencies, um, but uh, our mission for NASA is to just get back to the moon and then um, eventually to Mars. So with the Super Guppy, what is your role as a flight engineer for this aircraft? My role, um, so the Super Guppy is a very is a is a legacy airplane, 
and a lot of the modern um, equipment that you would find in traditional airplanes we don't we don't have um, so because this is a oversized aircraft all the flight controls are, are fabric so we have fabric flight controls if you get a chance to go out there and you look you'll see the elevators fabric the ailerons are fabric so because they're very large and they're very heavy so there's no hydraulic assist at all for our flight control so the pilot has to fly the airplane with cables only so that requires two hands two hands so um, one aspect of uh, one of many aspects of a flight engineer he has to control the power throughout the whole phase of flight from takeoff to cruise to landing so super guppy we have a second pair of throttles where the engineer controls the power throughout the each phase of the flight the pilot would call out torque torque 5 torque 4 engineer would set we'll call it respond torque 5 torque 4 and set those and set that set that power at times you would call just a little bit more power a little more power um, start walking and back, walk back a little power. So the communication between the pilot and the flight engineer is absolutely, absolutely essential because he literally has a handful of airplane oh, on sure. the fly. So on top of that, on top of that, I have my responsibility. I one of my responsibilities. The flight engineer is monitoring the health of the aircraft. My panel here, I monitor my engines. I have four engines out there. Um, I have my fuel flow, my TAT temperature, how hot they are burning, how much power they are putting out, oil pressures, how cool they are. I call this my engine stack. So I'm constantly looking at my engine stack to make sure that my engines are operating optimal to make sure that they're working fine. Um, and I also have all my anti-ice systems. I have my electrical systems that I have to keep track of, my DC power, AC power, as well as my fuel. I also manage the pressurization to keep us from getting hypoxic. And that's, make important. Sure, yes. that's important. That's uh, important. Make sure that, um, you know, that the crew stays healthy. So I'm very, very busy. On top of all that and managing those systems, um, because the airplane has such a huge drag index, um, what, what that is, is it's something, an additional amount of drag that's outside of the airplane. This, this number is not known, but it's computed into a performance book. So we can't necessarily use computers to compute takeoff performance. We can't use computers to compute how much runway we need or to compute how much the climb that we need to achieve to clear this obstacle that's out there on the field. So the engineer runs performance, all performance by hand. Wow. And so, for example, if uh, we are doing a high power takeoff, I would go here to 1077. I would compute my torque at our pressure altitude temperature. I would get a torque. My second segment, I would have to compute to see what our climb gradient is. Can't be, it has to be uh, above our, our total gross weight or we can't make that take off. Our final segment as we start climbing out, 
and then most importantly um, how much of runway available I compute this to see how far how much of a runway do we need to take off sure so I come up with the number uh, 6,000 feet and pilot we need at least 6,000 feet to take off if the runway is 5,000 feet we're not going to want to take off in that right. runway sure it would be very bad and I've doubted myself many times because it seemed like we were kind of going really slow and I'm just counting down the numbers, counting down the numbers, sure. we're still on the ground, <laughs> I'm waiting and I admit it's the thought has popped up in my head, boy I hope I didn't like miss a line somewhere yeah. and so it's very critical and it's very important right. Um, so all this is all done um, by hand. Um, and our climb, our endurance, our landing, our descent, all these are, are done by hand. So the flight here is very, very busy, yeah. very essential uh, for this airplane because of those, those factors that I just mentioned to select the airplane. We don't have computers. Um, emergency procedures is another big thing. Um, a flight engineer is the responsible individual running emergency procedures. No one else. Um, responsible other there, so you have to know the emergency procedures. Um, again, a modern airplane, for example, if you had a fire in number two engine, we would get a firelight on a modern airplane. That airplane will direct its um, agent to that engine. It will shut down that engine. It will parallel the electrical system, electrical generators, and set all that up all automatically this airplane you just get to fire it is up to the flying engineer to make sure we put agent in that engine make sure we shut down that engine make sure that the fire is out if it's not put another bottle of agent into that engine we need I need a since since there's no since there's no engine after it's shut down it's not burning any fuel I have to manage the fuel to make sure where it stays in balance. I don't want to be heavier one side or well, the sure. other side. Yeah. If, if we shut down an engine, a big uh, thing we compute is now we're down on three engines. What's our ceiling? As before on four engines, we were able to maintain 18,000 feet, but now on three engines, we're only able to maintain 14,000 feet. Is this good? Well, is there any obstacles that are 15,000 feet? Engineers responsible to kind of look way out the road, you know, and do I need to dump fuel? If we do need to dump some fuel, I'll go in and get rid of some fuel. And when I do do that, I want to make sure it's not on the side the fire is at. So I want to be conscious and want to dump fuel yeah. on the other side <laughs> and not make things worse. So there's a lot that goes into flying a so to speak a dumb airplane versus flying a modern airplane where a lot of things kind of happen by themselves in the sure. background yeah. sure so i think the biggest thing is communication really really good communication uh between the the pilot and the flight engineer and the flight engineer needs to be um really kind of on top of it, you know, it, it you know, it's just kind of um, fortunate, you know, our fine, our fine engineers are all experienced. I'm a C135 engineer, uh, my second fine engineer, the P3 fine engineer, it's just him and I that, that currently fly the deputy. So we're all very, very seasoned, very experienced. So, how often do you fly this? How often does it fly? So, it flies about almost 200 hours a year. So, we fly like two or three times a month, if not a mission. 
Uh, we'll fly uh, currency flying. Okay. Yeah, I guess there's no simulator for this, is there? We used a P3. You're absolutely okay. right. There is no simulator for this. Um, so we used a P3 simulator in NAS Jacksonville. Okay. Um, and again, that worked for us because the majority of our training comes from you mean what exactly how much power do you want me to wipe off when you say just a little bit of power all right just is this a little bit or just a little bit like what do you and could you like speak up a little bit because i'm behind you and that you can really do in a box you know so and that's why that works for us because the biggest part of simulator training is just working out these these communication issues, these personality issues, you know, sure. running an emergency procedures, arguing, you know, just kind of working that out versus actual aircraft systems, you know. So yeah, that's a great question. I so, one, right? <laughs> <laughs> what is the biggest difference for you from going from like a C-130 flight deck to the Super Guppy? Going from military, uh, working with the military crew, it's very uh, checklist oriented. Um, you don't use first names. You close out a checklist, you start a checklist. Uh, you start a checklist by calling checks and pilot, co-pilot, flight engineer, complete, you know. Um, and so it's very step-by-step step, uh, oriented. Altimeter settings, 0031, pilot, 0032, co-pilot, engineer, or verify, yeah, that's the altimeter settings. So flying the Super Guppy, civilian for NASA, um, not so much. Um, it's really kind of goes a lot on um, trusting you know each other's ability to know what they're doing and, and doing their job. Okay. And we call each other by first names: Ray, Pugs, you know, Dave. Um, and that was something a little bit to get used to. That um, very very lax in the cockpit for the reason that. I'm trusting. I'm. Tr I'm trusting you that you are going to do what you need to do to keep us alive. They're able to just focus on the pilots. Are able to focus on flying the airplane and not worry about systems that should be taken sure. care of. And so it, it kind of. It, it's really kind of that type of um, thing, and that took a lot to get used to. It, it really did for the last of these two. As far as the airplane itself, uh, the engine limitations are, are identical to the C-130 P3. Okay. They're the same engines, um, except I don't set power in the C-130. I might I'm doing uh, I'm monitoring and running emergency procedures and backing the the, the pilots up. Um, so I think a C-130 is definitely less hands-on in terms of flying the airplane you know, versus this is very, very um, hands-on. A bad landing is a combination of the pilot and the flying engineer versus a bad landing in C-130 is pilot. Sure. Right? So speaking of bad landings, I have to ask. <laughs> I, I just have to. So I saw a video from the EAA posted of you guys coming in and landing. Um, so you, 
everybody's like, oh, he didn't flare. What was that? Is that something that you guys, is that do? Is that normal? Yeah, that's okay. normal. Um, typically, you know, we, we like to set down on three points. Okay. Um, but uh, if we're setting down on two points, like traditional airplane, um, very rare, maybe on a no-flap landing, but you know, you'll scrape up your tail cone okay. uh, back there. So I would say a good portion of the time we'll set down one point on the nose, and then uh, because because it's it's an overwing, the engines are over the wing. You got that overwing lift. She literally wants it. She doesn't want to come down. You have to force her okay. to land. When we land, it is literally stay down. The, the, the yoke is pushed forward and it's like stay on the ground. Yeah, because I noticed when you came in, it obviously you were on airspeed because you came down, touched down, and then you stayed. So it's not like yeah. there was no bouncing happening. Yeah, we got to force her because it's just sure. there's so much area, wing area, that it, sure. she'll just go back up. Okay. All those weirdos are like, hey, it's <laughs> Alright, one last question. Uh, let's yeah. do, do you have to go ahead. I don't um, have any more. What is the newest upgrade on this aircraft and do you like it? Alright, so newest upgrade is the avionics. Um, uh, and I, I do like it. I do like it. Um, we have the FMS system and we have um, a HSI. We still have the old uh, school ADI, mm -hmm. but we have um, HSI. Um, we have a VSI instead of the old um, a vertical indicator, so it's it's nice to have these things um, upgraded uh, into the into the airplane. So um, I I'm looking forward to more upgrades when that comes along. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, this is it's good talking to you guys. Yeah, it's good talking to you too. Brett Pugsley, I'm the operational or operations branch chief at the uh, uh, Aircraft Operations Division in the Johnson Space Center at Ellington Field in Houston, Texas. <laughs> That's a long title. It's a long title. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, I'm, I'm losing my voice. So. Oh no, you're all right. Yeah, we'll be gentle then. Yeah. <laughs> so you're one of the pilots of the Super Guppy as well. Yes. Right? Yep. Okay. Uh, tell us about your role with the aircraft. Well. I'm a pilot, um, so I'm also uh, one of the aircraft commanders. We have three aircraft commanders. We have a total of five pilots at, at Ellington Field. So, you know, primarily we are, as the aircraft commander, we are we run our small detachments uh, when we leave. So we'll leave Ellington Field or El Paso because this plane, uh, you know, it lives in El Paso. That's where the maintainers uh, work on it. But all the air okay. crew are out of Ellington Field. Um, but, you know, we'll, I'll run a detachment. We'll have up to nine people on board. And we'll fly to some location, pick up a piece of cargo, move it across the United States, get it there safely, offload, and then bring the plane back to El Paso. So that's generally what our missions are like. The type of stuff that we, we move, I'm sure you've already heard, it's been, uh, you know, uh, space equipment, yeah. uh, whether it's parts of spaceships or it could be uh, even other kind of space type loads. We, we've brought up uh, pieces of the International Space, space Station when they're building it. You know, we'd fly from different parts of the United States where they got built, manufactured, bring it to the Kennedy Space Center. They'd throw it on the, the uh, space shuttle and then send it up to orbit. Wow. Space Station. So how long have you been flying? So I've been flying for... Since nineteen ninety yeah, forever. Since nineteen ninety seven, I've been okay. flying. So I, I did twenty plus years in the Navy flying F eighteens. Okay. Uh, I did a test pilot uh, stint uh, there, and then uh, got out 
and then uh, joined NASA, and I've been flying with NASA for about five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Have you been flying this the whole time, or? Yeah, so I got, uh, five and a half years ago, I got to NASA, and then about a year, or a half a year into, into flying, I jumped into the, the Super Guppy as a co-pilot. Oh, that's awesome. So, about five years on her. So. Okay. You like it? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> different, different airplane to fly, that's for sure. So we've heard. Yeah. What is the most unique part about flying this aircraft for you? Uh, I would say the working together as a crew. I'm used to coming back uh, or coming flying from uh, uh, in a single seat aircraft, so I'm used to doing everything myself, not yeah. having to talk to people about getting stuff done. Just do it all myself. Well, and then you fly other planes with just two two pilots. Well, now I've never flown a plane where it's three people working together as a team. So to land this plane is pretty challenging, and we have three people. You know, at key moments of the landing doing certain items. We all have to work together as a team to land safely. So I think that's the most interesting and dynamic part of flying this airplane is, is doing the landings. Okay. What is the coolest thing you've ever transported personally? Uh, that would be, we had the, the capsule for Artemis One mm -hmm. and the service module that's underneath it. They were, they were mated together. Uh, NASA threw it on its side, made a little cradle had a um, environmental control system around it, and we flew that. Uh, some other pilots flew it all the way up to uh, Mansfield, Ohio. Um, I went up there with Ray Heineman, who's out, out here right now, and uh, we flew up there after they finished testing and flew the, uh, the spacecraft back to uh, Kennedy Space Center. So it was pretty cool to, to bring that down to the Space Center, see that get put on top of a rocket, and then go around the moon. So that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So what is the payload of this aircraft like? Uh, max as far as what you can take. Yeah, yeah. max payload's right around 50,000 pounds. Okay. The max that we've ever flown is that payload I talked about, and I think it was around like 48.5. Um, and with that, we only had about 300 miles of range. So it took us three legs to get from Ohio to Florida. Wow. Because we only had enough gas to go about 300 miles. I didn't think about that. Yeah. What's how far can this go with like minimum payload? Like when you flew in here? Let's do some math here. I mean, you could, you'd probably <laughs> Sorry. you could probably max out about six and a half hours. Okay. And you know, so it's about fifteen hundred miles or so. But um, you know, it just really depends on how much load we have in the back because we have a max uh, takeoff weight of one hundred and seventy thousand and landing weight of one hundred and sixty thousand. Okay. Uh, and our dry weight here is one hundred and three. So talk to us a bit about the NOAAs. That's a really unique aspect of this aircraft. Yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting. You've only got one hinge, right? And you've seen them open it up. Uh, you know, we have, to, we have to put different stanchions down and uh, we have to put different stanchions down. And then, you know, we've got a little, like a little motor that opens the nose. We had like 22 locks they have to undo. They're the hydraulic locks. Uh, we have to uh, detach all the engine cables, all the flight control cables, and there's a hydraulic quick disconnect. But we can do it all in about a half hour. Really? Okay. Yeah, we wow. can open it, and then it usually taking off the load, can, depending on, because they all, they just eyeball the rails coming on up. So that they have a loader that comes up, they eyeball, make sure it's straight. I mean, sometimes they're out there with chalk and a string, making sure stuff looks straight, and then get it on there, and then they'll drag it out. We've got a winch to help push the uh, load out onto the loader, and then vice versa, bring the stuff back on. So we can offload. Usually the offload will take about an hour and a half for offloading something, an hour and a half, two hours. Because you, you got to throw an hour to open it, close the nose, and then about an hour for 
taking something off. Okay. That's a half hour if it all goes well. Yeah, but a lot of times, works. like, hey, it's not aligned. We're going to back out and then realign, stuff like that. Okay. What is the most challenging aspect of flying an airplane like this? Landing. It's, it's challenging because of the crosswinds. Okay. Um, crosswinds are a challenge. I mean, this thing is a huge sail. Right? Yeah, I suppose. So I got 20 knots of crosswind, uh, or that's our max limit. And if you're doing that, you're flying, you know, wing down top rudder, and you got a full boot of rudder in there, and your your yoke is 90 degrees, and you're flying like this. Jeez. Um, so you're kind of almost maxed out on flight control deflections, mm -hmm. landing. So, and as soon as you land, it's still flying. So you got to keep the controls in there because if you level your wings, man, you're you're off to the races. You're all over the place. Sure. And that's not fun. I imagine it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've had students do that to me. Uh, yeah. It's not fun, but yeah. I, I assume it's less fun in this. Yeah, you got 170,000 pounds floating around back yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, boy. Well, I think that's all the questions that we've got, unless there's anything unique that you want to tell us that we haven't thought to ask you. That's my catch-all question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the late 40s, that's the airframe. But this thing was built in 83. Okay. Based on 1940s parts in France. Wow. So the first two were built... By Aerospace Lines, Super Guppy Turbine Number One, Super Guppy Turbine Number Two. They were built by Aerospace Lines about 1972 time frame. They went defunct, um, and so Airbus bought those two, flew them over to France, and then they flew around France all the way up to 1997, delivering uh, Airbus parts around. They're building okay. Airbus parts, oh. just kind of like the Dreamlifter out there sure. that flies around Boeing. I think seven, eight, seven parts around the United States to build it. Um, well. In 1980, in the late 70s, early 80s, they needed, they're like, dude, we need more planes. Uh, so they, they got the parts and they got the designs and plans they put together. Super Guppy number three, and this is number four. But yeah, so this is the number fourth Guppy, and then in 1997, they came up with the Beluga uh, aircraft to replace the Guppy, and they got uh, rid of their other three, and then we got number four, we brought her home. Okay. Okay. So this is the only one flying. Two of them are in museums. The other one is scrap metal. Hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Do you have stuff fall apart all the time? Oh, not really. Okay, it's good. It's well built. Yeah. I mean, things well break. Yeah. You know, but we're NASA. I mean, we had the hinge point up there. You know, the where the whole nose uh, opens up. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a few years back, but we found a crack in it. Ooh. So like, oh, we need to get a new one. Nobody makes those. But we're NASA. So we went to the, uh, the metal shop and we said, hey, here's the designs, Make this. here's the specs, make us one. Yeah. So they made us three, so now we have two spares. Here you go. Yeah. There you go. We're NASA. Yeah. Well, we do yeah. Yeah. well, we can't thank you enough for your time. We yes, appreciate you. So oh, no problem. I have a quick thank you to give, um, and then we'll, we'll roll on to the end of it. Is it to me? Um, yeah. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks oh. for coming. <laughs> no problem. Well, a big thank you to both Nelson and to Brett for the opportunity to chat with them, as well as for Rob, who is with the Office of Communications with NASA, for helping to set that up for us while we were at AirVenture. So really cool opportunity, wasn't it, Maddie? Oh, it was absolutely fabulous. Wow. And your dad was, again, we talked about it in another episode, <laughs> but your dad was a real trooper as we sat up on the flight deck and he hung out down there and just BS with people and hung out next to airplanes and... Yeah, they didn't allow him up. <laughs> well, it was. It wasn't just the, him specifically, but. <clears throat> right, it wasn't him specifically. At that time, the flight deck wasn't open to the public, and um, it's not exactly like super spacious up in the, on the flight and deck. It's also not very strong, which I think was the concern. They, it yeah. like, threw off balance. 
yeah, they had a bunch of people in the flight deck and they like exceeded the max capacity. And so it like goofed with the hinges or something. That's right. all I remember. Well, hinge so singular, if you remember, there's yes, one, one hinge. hinge. One hinge, what is it, like 29 bolts or something like that? Oh, I don't, it was a lot of bolts. So maybe, if, of bolts. maybe it's in the interview if people listen to it and want to <laughs> fact check us on it. Because uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. So lots of bolts and one hinge yep. to make that all happen. So dad wasn't allowed, but he was amazing and sat and was amazing. That is all. <laughs> he sure was. Oh, one other thing I want to cover before we go into the actual outro part in our last episode, we said that this episode will be with Penny Levin, who works with AOPA and the Air Safety Institute as a consultant um, and as a psychologist. Unfortunately, we had some complications with the audio from that episode. So in trying to clean that up, we may have to either wait for a later date to publish that or re-interview Penny all over again, which she is more than happy to help us with. So she's got some great information to share. We want to get that to all of you. Just unfortunately, um, sometimes the technology doesn't cooperate with us when we're recording remotely. So that's why you got the NASA episode that was not to be expected until later. So we're a little out of order. All out of sorts, just like usual. Yeah, but I was just <laughs> going to say, aren't we always out of order? You're out of order. <laughs> Is that an office? The office? That's That's got to be something from the office. Everything's You're something from the order. office, isn't it? It's Michael Scott and Dwight yelling back and forth at each other. You yes. are out of order. You are out of order. Yes. <laughs> So Excellent. there you go. I'm so glad I remembered something. All right, for all the you office, fans, you are you are out of order. Should we talk we about what's order. on our next episode and yes. actually publish that one, like we say we we're sure going to? Could. We sure could, and we sure should. On our next episode, we will be talking with Keith Roxo, who is with Wingman Med. If you're not familiar with them, they help all kinds of pilots navigate through the FAA medical process, whether it's a new medical diagnosis, you've got questions about like a special insurance, things like that. They're there to help keep people flying. So they'll talk about their services and some important things to consider as it pertains to your medical. I think there's just a lot of you know question marks for people around the medical process, deferrals, things like that. And there are so many people who go out there and try to get their medical without doing their homework. So um, services like Wingman Med and others are available to help get people informed before they go maybe make a mistake. Yes, with these days and the prevalence of diagnoses, which is not a bad thing, it is almost vital to have your ducks in a row in this in this sense. So what they do is is pretty cool. Well, and you prepare for all your other exams. Why not prepare for that one? Well, if you guys want to be on the podcast or want to get in contact with us, you know how to find us. <laughs> you guys read the show notes, right? I hope so. Please. <laughs> We put a lot of work so. into those. Could you read we the show do. notes? I can even say that I did it because I've been doing it. So It's on your resume, isn't it? That you are a writer with yeah, the Flying Midwest podcast. To, what, what exactly <laughs> did I know? I, I need to see what I, I wrote. Remember. All right. Well, you think we should get out of here? Yes. Do you want to thank the nice people? And then we'll... Thank you, nice people. Thank you so much for listening to the Flying Midwest podcast. We're glad you could join us for this quick little episode. Uh, and until next time... That is what? not coming up. And I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> That's how you said it. Until next time, I'm Ron Burgundy. That's uh, going in there. Okay. Until next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us on the Flying Midwest podcast. 
Until next time, podcast service terminated, Squawk VFR, frequency change approved. Good day.